we know that the whole sutra is geared towards teaching all sentient beings of the cosmos. And sentient beings are classified into the 10 categories. Uh, those who are still in samsara or still in the repeated cycle of life and death, and those who are already above or beyond or liberated from life and death. There are four sages, of course, four different levels of beings who are already out from life and death. And those are Pratyeka Buddha, Stravakas, Bodhisattvas, and the Buddha. Those are already out from suffering, out from mental afflictions, out from impurity of the mind, and no more incarnation, no more rebirth for them. And those who are still in samsara, there are six categories still in the repeated cycle of birth and death, six categories, or some people call it the five categories, but let's call it six categories. The hell realm, victims of hell, the ghost realm, animals realm, human realms, Azura's realm, and heavenly beings realm, or people call them gods or guardian angels. Uh, those are the six realms. So altogether there are ten realms. And where are we? We are in the lower six realms, in the middle, humans. And this sutra is actually a very summarized form of teaching all these ten realms to beings who are in samsara, we are dominated or we attach to the 18th ramifications of our mentality. So we have the eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body and mind, the six sense organs, attaching to the six envirals. What are those? Form, sound, smell, taste, sense of touch, and all mentality ramifications. So our six organs attach the six envirals, creating in us the six consciousnesses. But the eye consciousnesses, ear, nose, and so on and so forth, up to the mental, the mano consciousness. And there are also the two more, the manas consciousness and the alaya consciousness, which account for the banking consciousness the storage, the memory, we all have that. And this sutra is giving very brief outline as how to practice in order to be away from samsara. Now we already have talked about the Four Noble Truth, suffering, the origins of suffering, or the causes of suffering, cessation of suffering, and path leading to cessation of suffering. Uh, the Four Noble Truth being brought in here is because this is common sense. This is solving problems of the human existence. This is just like a, a cram course in the Harvard case study. Uh, if you're given a case to resolve problem, and give you a case in which there's a few thousand words to give you a story of a company and how to resolve the problem of this company, identify the problems, find out the causes of the problem, introduce methods to solve the problems. Now that is the path leading to cessation of suffering. Get methods to resolve the problems. In this case, of course, human problems. And then, after all that is resolved, cessation of suffering. No more problems. Because you 
you identify the problems, the causes of the problem, and introduce methods to solve the problems, then the problem is solved. So that's the Four Noble Truth, which I already have given in detail. And then the Sutra goes forward to explain into a little bit of more detail. When you identify the problems, you know the method. What does this method involve? This method basically involves wisdom, morality, and meditation. So you need wisdom. You need to build up wisdom. You need to have morality. You need to have meditation in order to arrive at those methods to solve the problems. So we need to have right view, right thought. Have we got right view and right thought? Not necessarily, we may not have. Yes, we have views. We have our egoistic view, our self-views, our obstinate views that cannot be changed because of our view. But you got to have the right view, a view that is right. Now how? This is just a brief outline. You need more to get more into it. The Noble Eightfold Path, which is a good summary, but actually there are 37 aids to enlightenment. The four arousing of mindfulness, the four right endeavors, the four requisitions for obtaining supernatural powers, the five spiritual faculties, the five spiritual powers, the seven limbs of enlightenment, and finally, of course, the noble eightfold path. And the 37 aids to enlightenment require about one course in one semester, 150 hours at least of 200 hours. So I, it's a cram, it's a cram course now. All right, so let's get to the first one. And what is it from? This is from Anapanasati Sutra and Satipatthana Sutra. The first one, the four arousing of mindfulness, contemplation, mindfulness on the body, contemplation on feelings, contemplation on the mind, and contemplation on mental objects. The four contemplations. And contemplation on the body, the abandoning of learning how to renounce sensual desires, learning how to see the impurity of the bodies. If you really become successful in contemplation of the body, you would not attach to sensual pleasure anymore. Because we have been so much used to treating sensual pleasure as something taken for granted. You think that, oh, for example, man and woman relationship is normal. But according to the Buddha, that only belongs to the world of desire. That accounts for reincarnation. That accounts for our downfall into the realm of desire. There are existence right above the sensual pleasure, above us. We don't even know about it. So contemplation on the body, contemplation on feelings, abandoning or renouncing attachment to feelings, pleasurable feelings, non-pleasurable feelings, and um, neutral feelings. Contemplation of the mind, abandoning of the notion of permanence, the seeing of impermanence, causation, sunyata, emptiness of thought and volition. And then contemplation of mental object, it's of course renouncement of attachment of egos and seeing of asvabhava, which is there's nothing that has its own self-nature. Everything is causation. Everything is conditional. So these is related to the five scanters. The first one relates to matter. The second one relates to feeling. 
The third and the fourth, fourth relate to conceptualization, volition, and consciousness. So the four arousing of mindfulness is geared towards renunciation of the five scanters. That is, see the imperfection and impurities of our mind and of our body. Not until we have abandoned our attachment to the five scanters can we be free from reincarnations, can we be liberated from rebirth and the cycle of life and death. The second one will be the four right endeavors. The first one is in whatever we do, we have to know that we have to get rid of existing evil deeds. If you are doing all kinds of wrongdoings, how can you be awakened? So you have to get rid of all the existing evil deeds. You know what evil deeds are. You have to get rid of them. Getting rid of something is on the passive side. You have to be active too, actively preventing evil deeds from arising. Passively getting rid of them, actively prevent them from arising. How do you prevent them from arising? You gotta have a strong will. I cannot do this, I don't want to do this. You don't want to be lured away or you don't want to be enticed away into doing something that is evil. You don't want to get into bad company, you don't want to get into bad friends, you don't want to get into friends who like casino gambling, you don't want to get, get, get into friends who like to go into sensual pleasures, so you have to prevent things happen that way. Third, to start wholesome deeds. This is just regarding the evil deeds but that three and four is, is regarding starting wholesome deeds, develop existing wholesome deeds. Okay, so these are the four right endeavors. And then the four requisites for achieving dhyana, the four requisites for, so to speak, for good meditation. How do you get a good session of meditation? Concentration of desire towards achieving dhyana. Concentration of energy towards achieving dhyana, achieving meditation. Concentration of investigation towards achieving dhyana. Concentration of analysis towards achieving dhyana. Now that is desire, energy, investigation and analysis. Well, you may say, should we abandon desire? How come we have desires? How come we need to build up desire? This is the, the, the right desire, the desire to to get out from samsara, the desire to be good, the desire to get a good session of meditation, the desire to help, the desire to be compassionate, the desire to become a Buddha. This desire is the rightful desire, the right destination, not desire to get sensual pleasure. You need desire, but not the wrong kind of desire. In other words, you need a destination to go to, energy, you need to build up energy, you need to be hardworking at it towards meditation, you need to meditate and work hard at it. Investigation, what is investigation? Investigation, you not need the right method to get into the meditation. For example, Anapanasati, uh, concentration of the breath. You need to build up your concentration. You investigate and build up your concentration. You need to have samatha, concentration, an object of concentration. Analysis, wisdom, you need to have wisdom. You need to have vipassana. You need to build up your wisdom in the process of your practice. The first three powers are especially required for samatha. The last power is required for vipassana. 
the continuous attention to the object stabilizes the mind in concentration and brings into being the samatha state, while the contemplation of the object in terms of its qualities and characteristics brings into being the vipassana state. So one is for stabilizing the mind, stilling the mind. The other is to build up the quality of the mind, the quality of the thinking. Not just in stabilizing and distilling it, you build up the quality in the mind. Not just the quantity of concentration, the quality of wisdom. So that's the four requisites for meditation. Next, the five spiritual faculties. You need to have the faculties of strong faith, strong energy, strong mindfulness, strong concentration, and strong wisdom. So you need strong faith, developing confidence and enthusiasm towards practice, strong energy, applying more efforts on developing more energy, controlling sloth and torpor. Sloth and torpor is laziness. Strong mindfulness, as one's energy improves, their awareness and mindfulness will naturally become stronger. Strong concentration, that is for samatha. Strong wisdom, that is for vipassana. We need samatha and vipassana. The five spiritual faculties. The five spiritual powers, faith, energy, mindfulness, tranquility, and wisdom. These are the same as the five spiritual faculties just mentioned before. They are called the powers here because as the practitioner progresses, the five faculties interact with each other with the most appropriate balance and gain more momentum. So gradually, the mundane nature of physical faculties transform into the supramundane nature of spiritual powers. For example, when you see something through your faculty of eyes, your mind is uncontrolled. You then generate liking or disliking. But after achievement of the spiritual powers, you see them in a spiritual way. You won't have liking and disliking because power is to strengthen it. You see how common sense it is? It's to strengthen it. So it's five spiritual powers. And then the seven enlightenment factors. So you need to have mindfulness, investigation, energy, and then you have joy in it, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And these seven enlightenment factors, there is causes and effect in it. And in the previous one, there are more causes than effect. You need to have to put in all these causes in order later to realize effect. But this is to tell you that as you progress, you will develop mindfulness. You know that you develop mindfulness. You know you are good at it. You develop investigation, concentration. You develop energy in it. So if you ask, if I have worked out all these things, what would I get? People like to know, what do I get? You know, I want to get something. You get mindfulness that you know yourself. You get into concentration that know you, you know yourself you have concentration. You get into be, become more energetic. Whatever you're doing, you become more energetic. Just to give you an example, when I was at second year at, uh, at, in school and university, uh, when I was about, say, 23, 24, I don't know, I forgot. I meditate for three, four hours per day. And then I became very energetic. I don't know what well, I can walk faster than before, three, four times faster. I can write faster. 
I still remember in the examination, when I was written examination, uh, normally when I write, I write fast, but when I work at meditation, I write three, four times faster. It was, it's, just like, it's just like a machine, because your mind floats out a lot of ideas that in your examinations, you, you, you simply, your hands cannot be faster than your mind, but then you're so energetic that even the, that your hand keep in tune with the mind. Like a robot, you know, like a robot. And everything you, you, you do, everything you say, it's it much faster. Your thinking is much faster. And then you have more joy. You're more joyful. You just don't know why you're so joyful. So much pleasure, so much happiness. And then you have concentration, you have equanimity. This is the seven enlightenment factors. And then, of course, the Eightfold Path. Wisdom, morality, and meditation. So, that accounts for, which I originally told you, the 37 eights, or some people call the factors to enlightenment. If you research into many, many sutras, you'll find, for example, in a book called Path of Purification, it contains all these. The Path of Purification. The Vusutti Maka, translated from Sanskrit, Tibetan into English. Uh, the path of purification, translated into English, will contain all this information. Remember in the sutra it says, no wisdom and no attainment, because there's no object to be obtained. Now those two sentences are geared towards teaching the Bodhisattvas that no wisdom. People may say, oh, how come there's no, no wisdom? How come there's no attachment to wisdom? Because the Bodhisattva attached to Prashtaparamitta. The Buddha said, don't attach to Prashtaparamitta. Don't say that, oh, don't attach to Prashtaparamitta. You don't need Prashtaparamitta. You don't need wisdom. No wisdom means you don't need wisdom. No. For us, we need the wisdom. For the Bodhisattva who already have applied wisdom and already have become successful in awakening from wisdom, you get rid of the wisdom. For those who already have arrived on shore in Victoria, you leave the ship. You don't attach to the ship anymore. The Bodhisattvas who use wisdom to arrive at the shore of enlightenment throw away wisdom anymore. Throw away the Buddha. So people say, do Buddhism believe in a God? They, all, they usually ask the question, you know in, in what? Because in their mind they say, they, they, they feel, we have a God and you don't have a God. You know, they always believe in having, 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 right? But the Buddhist said, the problem comes from believing in having, 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 acquire more, one more, I want this, I want that. We have a God, you don't have a God, so we are better. They, they think that having is good. But the Buddhist teaching is, Get rid of the having. You won't be awakened un unless you've gotten rid of all your having, all your acquisition, all your ego, all yourself. You still want more. How can you be enlightened? How can you be awakened from, from the trap of acquisition? So, the Buddha said, get rid of prajnaparamitta. That's teaching the Bodhisattva who already have 
gotten out from samsara. We have not, you know. But, but in the previous teaching, in the sutra, we already have been taught how to do it, right? The 18 rams, how to get rid of volition, consciousness, how to get rid of this. They already have taught that. But now the Buddha is teaching the Bodhisattva who already liberated from life and death, but they still attach to wisdom. There are basically two kinds of Bodhisattvas. The kind of Bodhisattvas who are expedient Bodhisattvas and the kind of Bodhisattvas who are real Bodhisattvas. Both are already out from life and death, above us already. But the expedient Bodhisattvas practice the six parameters. The expedient Bodhisattvas practice the six parameters. They still maintain the view of the subjective method and the ability to transform and the object that is transformed. In other words, the Bodhisattva is always helping people, right? Helping victims of suffering. Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva or Mother Teresa as a Bodhisattva. Mother Teresa is helping all those six patients. The Buddhist teaching has no boundary as to religion. We're just limited by our thinking and thinking of a Roman Catholic, a Christianity, a Hindu, a Muslim. It does not matter what religion. Mother Teresa is a Bodhisattva, helping, helping people. But if you practice the six parameters and you still think that, oh, I'm already out from life and death. I'm helping all these people. I am the person who helped, the Bodhisattva who helped. These are the objects of being helped. I have a method. My method is the six parameters. You're not completely free. You still have an attachment. You still attach the ship. That's the expedient Bodhisattvas. Another real Bodhisattva is they practice the six parameters without any attachment to the view of the ability, the method, the object. That's complete emptiness. That is complete purity of the mind. No wisdom and also no attainment because there's no object to be obtained. That is the real Bodhisattva which is neighboring on the Buddhahood. That is a higher level of Bodhisattvas. It does not mean that Expedient Bodhisattvas are no good. They're already out from life and death. They're always saving us. They're our teachers. But at a different level, the teachers still have a teaching method. The professor still have a way, still have the students, still have a teaching method, still have this course, still have this course outline, still have this. They're at the higher level that is not limited to the course outline. That's not limited to the teachers and, and the candidates and, and the teaching. That's about that. I was told by a professor, uh, a very experienced professor, I still remember the example he said, an assistant professor talked about a subject for one semester. A professor talks about a subject for his whole life, not just semester, one semester. And really, a high-level professor, they have no boundary, no limitation. Now, this is just an example, okay? Now, next, abandoning the prajna parameter. Prajna is supreme and unique. Jna is consciousness and understanding. Paramita, it means perfection or the other shore, or that which has arrived at the other shore. So, the Bodhisattva 
should abandon partial polymit. Very generally, it contains dana, sila, zanti, virya, dhyana, and prajna, which includes giving, ethics, patience and tolerance, vigor, mental strength, meditation, and perfection of wisdom. Okay, so these are the six parameters. So, no wisdom and no attachment to wisdom because there's no object to be obtained is geared towards teaching the bodhisattvas. Okay, so let's get back to the original sutra. We said no wisdom and also no attainment because there's no object to be obtained. Now that is to teach expedient bodhisattvas. Don't attach even to the method. Don't attach to religion. No religion. Don't attach to the Buddha. No Buddha. Don't attach to Buddhahood. No Buddhahood. Don't attach to anything. You should be free from attachment. You see how ultimate it is? If the Buddha said, don't attach to anything, but only attach to my method, that's not Buddha. Don't believe in anything. You just believe in me. That's not awakening. You understand? So that's the reason why there's no creator. There's no supernatural being that dominates you. You are the creator. You have that creativity. You are God. You are Buddha. It doesn't have to be Buddha to be the Buddha. You are the Buddha. You just haven't discovered the Buddha. You just haven't discovered that. And even that word Buddha should be thrown away. But the Buddha has to use language to tell us, right? If the Buddha didn't use language to tell us, how do we know? Throw away that language. That language is a limitation. Don't attach to religion. There was a story. A few monks gathered together on the top of the mountain. Chilly snow, winter. Everybody was getting so cold in that hut where they meditate. And there was one monk who said, oh, we're so cold. So what did he do? From the altar table, he took the wooden Buddha statue, put it down there, and started to chop it up with an ax to burn it to get fire. All the other guys get amazed at what he just did, startle and say, stop. You are committing a, a big guilt crime that you will reincarnate for life. How can you chop up the Buddha statue and burn it for fire? <laughs> and, and then the monk said, from that Buddha wooden Buddha statue, can we get something that is so valuable that it is wisdom? What can we get from that Buddha statue? Can we get something so valuable from it? The monk asked, can we, what can we get from it? Can we get some diamonds from it, for example? When I burn it up, can I get diamonds from, from it? They don't know, how can you get diamonds from it? How can you get something valuable from it, from the wood? If I can't get anything more valuable from it, how come I couldn't chop it up and burn it? So we chop it up and burn it. For some people, it's a curse to chopping up the, the Buddhist texture. All these people who are termed enlightened, they value that Buddhist texture and this enlightened being. How come you are attaching to a piece of wood? But that does not mean that I tell you you can chop up the Buddhist texture. 
You are in big trouble if you did that because you are not enlightened. You are not enlightened. He can if he's enlightened. That enlightened monk can. But you cannot. We cannot. I want to repeat, don't do that. <laughs> if you do that, oh, I don't know what kind of consequences you will face. Okay, the Bodhisattvas, through practicing Prashnaparamitta, have no obstacles in mind. So if you practice the wisdom, you will not have mental afflictions. You will have no obstacles in mind. Having no obstacles, then you overcome fear, anxiety, ignorance, jealousy, hatred, depression. You have no more mental afflictions. You overcome all fears. Liberating yourself forever from delusions. Ultimately realizing nirvana. All Buddhas of the past, present and future, relying on Prashtaparamitta, attain Anuttara Samya Samputti. You still have to rely on Prashtaparamitta. You still have to rely on that ship to get you to arrive at Victoria. You don't chop up that ship. You chop up that ship, how can you get there? If you rely on Prashtaparamitta, it will get you Anuttara Samya Samputti. The roots of delusions. What are these delusions? We have ignorance, we have aversion, hatred, attachment of desire. We have pride, view about oneself as high and looking down on others, deluded doubts, deluded views. A person adopts a certain view due to ignorance and attachment. Deluted view of the five aggregates. We think that our body and mind is us, we have a self. Extreme view, wrong views, grasping at one's false views as supreme, and wrong views of behavior or ethical conduct. So these are the delusions. We all have these delusions. And uh, of course, we need to know more detail as what these delusions mean. As I said, I won't get into details of these delusions. You can find out more about these delusions. Uh, you see, the Buddhist teaching is in minute details. There's millions of books on it. And um, you don't need to swallow up all these millions of books. Um, it's just like the ocean. To know the taste of the ocean water, you don't need to drink up the whole ocean. Just scoop up a few, taste it, and you know. Uh, you don't need to scoop up the whole ocean. There's no way. Okay? So these are the delusions. What is nirvana? Nirvana means blown off as in a candle. Nirvana refers to the imperturbable stillness of the mind after the fires of desire, aversion and delusion have been finally extinguished. The attainment of nirvana is liberation from samsara, liberation from repeating cycle of birth and death. So nirvana is like stopping the fire, blowing out the fire, stillness, no more, no more action, no more movement, no more fire, no more burning. We still have burning. We still have the movement. Just like an example that Venerable Hong gave before, we need exercise to move our body to get fit. But in sitting the mind, we just need the opposite. We need to stop the action, stop the thinking, stop the movement. Right now, we're moving our mind all the time, non-stop. Moving into what area? Moving into areas of aversion, ignorance, hatred, fears, you name them. We move in that direction. 
like exercising the body. You want to jog, you want to run, you want to golf, you want to play basketball, you move it. But working on the mind is just the opposite. You need to still it. You need to near it, nirvana. You need to nirvana it. Blow it out, stop the motion. The Abhidharma Mahavibhasa Sastra, a Savastivadin commentary of the third century, how it defines nirvana, nirvana, Vana is the path of rebirth, samsara. Nir is leaving off. You leave the path of samsara, leave the path of repeated reincarnation. Vana also means forest. Nir means without, leaving. Without the forest of, to be in a state which has gotten rid of forever. The dense forest of the three fires of lust, malice, and delusion. Leave the forest, the forest of lust the forest of malice, the forest of delusion. Vana means weaving, leading together, being free. You're free from the cocoon of the threads of the caterpillars. So freedom from the knots of the vexation of karma and in which the texture of both birth and death is not to be woven. In other words, you bite up the cocoon and leave it. Vana means stench or stink. Near means without, without stench or stink of karma. Being without and free from all stench of karma. No more karma. Karma free. Leaving off that. This nirvana. And finally, arrive at Anuttara Samya Sambuddhi. Uttara means the very top. Anuttara, that means topper than the top. Above the top, right? Unexcel, complete enlightenment which is an attribute of every Buddha. It is the highest, correct, and complete or universal knowledge or awareness, the perfect wisdom of a Buddha in bliss. Samya, that means equal and right. Sambuddhi is understanding, awakening from a dream. So that is Anuttara Samya Sambuddhi. Getting back to the Sutra again. So the Bodhisattvas, full practicing Prajapalamita, have no obstacles in mind, having no obstacles to overcome fear, liberating themselves forever from delusions. Ultimately, realizing nirvana, all Buddhas of the past, present, and future, relying on Prajapalamita, attain Anuttara Samya Sambuddhi. You think there's only one Buddha? There's millions of beings who already have awakened. They are Buddhas of the past. They are also Buddhas now, you are a present-day sentient being working towards the Buddhahood. And you could be a future Buddha. You are a future Buddha to come. You are a future Buddha. Not just one Buddha. Buddhas are, are just enlightened, complete, out of nirvana beings. They're in a place where there's no more suffering, no more reincarnations than attain Anuttara Samya Sambuddhi. All right, I, I would make all this red. And next time, one more session, I will finish this up. Okay, so that's it for today.